0: So did the scarabs mummify him?
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: You see a bug mummy? That's terrifying. Uh, he does have bugs in him all the time. That's worse.
1: Yeah. I, I hate that. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, don't, don't question the logic of mummification. Because, it's, yeah, the process... They're, they're right on the removing the organs and putting them in canoptic jars. They miss the part where after you remove the organs, you pack the body with herbs and salt to suck all the juice out of it. Mm. So it's impossible to have a juicy mummy. Correct, because that's what keeps it from rotting. And then you seal the sarcophagus. So yeah, um, 10 out of 10 horror, zero zero out of 10, you'd have a puddle of goop.
0: Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by my dear friend Adam, aka Ludo History, aka OSP Yellow. Adam, welcome to the podcast.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I realize just how many names I have on the internet these days. You don't even have all of them. Oh my are, wait, are there more? Please Yeah, how could, yeah no. <laughs>
0: how can my our just, audience know
1: you? <laughs> so Mostly my internet presence these days is on Twitch, Ludo History there. Uh and then obviously collaborations with Overly Sarcastic Productions who I've known for ages and ages at this mm-hmm. point. Uh but also, uh, I lurk around on like Reddit AskHistorians historians under the username Sagathane. And that's that's mostly it. So I am a professional historian by training, which Describes most of what I do, uh, where I do media criticism through historical lenses, so, you know, how badly are they butchering mythology and (laughs) history, or, you know, what are the times where they put a weird amount of effort in? Awesome. Well,
0: I look forward to your historical expertise in this highly historical film of your choice. And, Uh you know, for for people who maybe are tuning in for the first time every episode on this podcast, we bring on a different guest and watch whatever movie our guest so desires. It's a dealer's choice, if you so will. And that is why, uh, Adam, I only have one question for you today. Why did we watch 1999's The Mummy?
1: Well, by sheer coincidence, it actually was just a couple days ago as we were recording by Visibility Day. And apparently to be Ooh. bi on the internet, you need uh, two requirements. One, mm-hmm. love 1999's The Mummy. <laughs> two, there is no two.
0: <laughs> two is maybe, a, you know, the, like you just said, uh, in, coincidentally lining up at Buy bi- Visibility Day, this movie is a, a, a bi favorite, a classic of the community. This and like Pirates of the Caribbean, anything in that sphere, commonly cited. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I do know someone who once told me that they're like because the reason this is considered a bi-movie in many ways is because everyone in the cast is very attractive, and that holds true to this day. True. Uh, <laughs> I will be thinking of uh, Brendan Fraser's floppy hair in this movie for the rest of the week, but <laughs> I have someone who once cited to me as National Treasure was that movie for them, which I thought was a bit of a left-field pick, but is a previous the, uh, movie-struck hmm. episode,
1: so if you're looking for oh. a tie-in... <laughs> you know, I I see it, but that seems like Cap... Campy adventure movie featuring hot people mm-hmm. is just the genre.
0: It's just the genre. Hey, that's the best genre in my book. Uh, this uh, is one of the you two know, movie I've, I'm movies here I've seen for, before. I am so. fully
1: here for this genre. <laughs> oh,
0: yes. I was very excited when you picked this movie. Uh, so without further ado, let's jump on into this. We open Pyramids, Birds Calling, The Sphinx being built, an orange filter on all of the color correction. It's Egypt, baby. Somehow, <laughs> somehow
1: in thieves. Which is Somehow not close thebes. to the pyramids. Not, It's not all that close, actually.
0: Interesting. I don't really know the geography of Egypt this well, uh, to yeah, show my hand pull- as a dumb American.
1: <laughs> well, let me pull it up, because uh, it's not super duper far away. Uh, let's see. So yeah, it's the modern city of Luxor, mm. not Cairo, which is where Giza is closest to. So it's uh, quite a ways down the river, or up the river.
0: Yeah, they're playing uh, pretty fast and loose with geography in this movie. It'll take very different amounts of times to get from point A to point B at different points, depending on how serious the plot is. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) True. But a a narrator very helpfully informs us that we are in Thebes, which is confusing, but okay, I'm ready to roll with it, at the home of Imhotep, the high priest of the pharaoh, uh, and... Also, the residence of the Pharaoh's mistress that no other man was allowed to touch, but that doesn't stop Imhotep. But uh uh-oh, for the two lovers, the Pharaoh busts in, which he busts in through these doors that are being held shot by the the priest's assistants who are all painted fully gold. It's
1: extra (laughs) as hell.
0: (laughs) Extra as hell. They blend in with the walls, and at first I was like, are they supposed to blend in with the walls, or is this like a status symbol? This is getting too far into the logistics of, um, character extras in the mummy but it was an important detail uh, to point out <laughs> at this point
1: <laughs> but yeah like six of, but like six of them they don't even hold them for like 10 seconds
0: not <laughs> even a little bit you would think oh these giant heavy door like stone doors that these six men are holding back surely Surely this will stop the one Pharaoh from busting in, but no, he seems pretty capable of kicking down some doors. I guess he's a man who knows how to make an entrance.
1: (laughs) uh, Even
0: though he only appears in this opening sequence and then not again at all throughout the
1: rest of the movie. Uh, True. Also, oddly, real historical figure that is at the time frame they later identify him at. Huh. Right, so my stance on The Mummy as a history movie is a a weirdly high-effort shitpost. Fascinating. So, Seti I is actually a pharaoh of the 19th dynasty. So, the one after Akhenaten and Tutankhamun, mm. Who actually ruled about 1300 BC. And they actually correctly identify that in the movie. Wow. So, I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, he doesn't die in the way there's none of the rest of it. But for whatever yes, well... reason, they chose an actual historical <laughs> figure. And just went, to, what? You are now in this movie. <laughs>
0: I kind of love when movies do that. <laughs> I just yeah. think it's fun. i Like, I'm it's here not it. accurate. No, I'm totally here needed... for it. <laughs> yeah, because I had on Blue from OSP on, and he did Gladiator, and we had a similar conversation about, like, oh, well, this part does have an actual historical basis, but then this part is, like, purely for plot purposes, and that intersection yep. is always so fun when you watch with someone who kind of knows their stuff like you do. Because I'm like, oh, I would never have got, like, I would never have understood that. But I'm very happy that I know it, because it just recolors my flavor of the whole movie. Uh But for these, unfortunately for these two lovers, the uh, high priest Imhotep and uh, his girlfriend, whose name is really long and I never could remember off the top of my mind, even though I tried to write it down a few times and I just kept missing the subtitles. But she's the... It's something common. Something.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's order. important. Let's look it up. <laughs>
0: yes, according to IMDb, it's not listed under order of appearance for the cast. That's inconvenient. Fascinating. Anksu Namun. I'm probably mispronouncing. Yes, that.
1: there it is. Uh huh. Anksu, Anksu Namun, I think is. Yes. That oh is wow. The... Um, I hope they are not spelling it the way Wikipedia is spelling it, because <laughs> that is not <laughs> anything. I would
0: not uh, bank on IMDb's spelling.
1: (laughs) I I would assume it's supposed to be uh, Mm. A-N-K-H, S-U-N-A-M-U-N for the full spelling, but Wikipedia has A-N-C-K, S-U-A-N-A-M-U-N. Well, I hate to disappoint
0: you, but that is also how IMDb spelled it.
1: (laughs) grim. Grim. What a cruel
0: world we live in. Uh, but uh uh-oh for these two lovers comes when the pharaoh busts in he knows something is up because his his gal's got this makeup all over her body and part of it is smudged he's like oh another man has touched you Uh, and so the two kill the pharaoh together and a bunch of the guards bust in like oh my god you can't kill the pharaoh what are you doing he's the pharaoh Imhotep flees his girl's like you gotta go only you can resurrect me and then she kills herself in a very dramatic scene Imhotep Takes the Black Book of the Dead and tries to revive his girl, but there's some freaky black smoke CGI, and her soul almost returns, but the guards bust in to stop him before he can fully complete the whole process. All of his priests are mummified alive, uh, and Imhotep is sealed in a sarcophagus with a bunch of, as we later learn, flesh-eating scarabs, uh, and also buried alive. It's horrifying. Uh, and it,
1: it is described
0: G- as the worst Genuinely, actually <laughs> kind of
1: disturbing. <laughs> a lot of the
0: horror in this movie holds up because it is just, like, viscerally disturbing. Uh, I'll probably toss yeah. a content warning on this episode for some body horror because there's some freaky stuff. Maybe not as bad as Akira, but it's a, it's not great. Um, uh,
1: for, for 1999 CGI. For 1999 uh, CGI, they do pretty good. It's actually, throughout the special effects, looked shockingly... As good as I remembered them?
0: Yeah, I think this movie does something really interesting, which is in a lot of ways, its editing and its special effects are meant to look a little dated because it's sort of meant to echo some of those monster movies of the early days of, like, cinema. Uh, And also, I think a lot... It's a movie that takes place largely in the desert, so like many movies that take place largely in the desert, it does call back to Lawrence of Arabia a bit. I feel like that's like a film nerd buzzword to drop there, but... Uh, it, it's got a lot of um and there's a specific cut later on that i'd like to t- touch back on this again for it's got a lot of these retro techniques that sort of both mask how dated it might look in some ways and make that datedness seem intentional even as you get farther and farther from the actual release date of the movie so because they intentionally dated it ahead of time through the techniques they use and the way they graded it and everything uh it, it actually i think makes it have more staying power now, you know, 20 years out from when it was released. And I think that is so cool. I I love that idea. And it works so well because this is such a fun, like, monster adventure movie that it's exactly the genre to do that in.
1: Yeah, but it's also just in this weird time, right? Late Mm. 90s, early 2000s are right in that sweet spot where cGI animation still kind of sucks mm-hmm. and so they're still largely trying to use practical effects as often as they can get away with yeah and it just it just makes it age so much more gently than movies yes. from you know two thousand six seven ten mm-hmm
0: yeah dated cGI will just get worse with time, but dated practical effects will just kind of get cooler that they were able to pull it off with time, so anytime you can get more practical edged in there with your CGI, ooh, you sold me. I love to see it. Uh-huh. Uh, so Imhotep is sealed in a sarcophagus with scarabs, and he's buried, and he's never meant to escape, but uh, we'll see how that goes. And he's described oh, as yeah. being put under like the worst curse in all of ancient Egypt, like, this, if he's ever unsealed, there'll be
1: hell to pay as he gets his revenge. The, the, this logic honestly feels r- really fucking dumb. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. I risk we should talk about this. <laughs> uh, before, before we do though, I do want to actually throw out that in this entire prequel area, another case of the, like weirdly high effort. They're using a reconstruction. There are like six or seven reconstructions, but a reconstruction for the phonetics of Middle Egyptian. Huh. So yeah, they're not using a modern language. They're using a guess as to what. Period Egyptian would have sounded like.
0: I don't know why. I mean, props to them for the the tag to the trying to be authentic. I guess. I mean, it definitely. Yeah. From a you know film construction standpoint, anything you can do to be closer to quote unquote. I mean, it's a movie about a mummy coming back to life and American a bunch of people, but quote unquote reality is is going to help build the uh, you know suspension of disbelief for your audience. So props to anyone yeah. listening who's at all familiar with the reconstruction of Middle Egyptian. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, the version I watched also didn't have any subtitles, so I don't know if other versions, you know, try and translate that, but it honestly Mm -hmm. added a lot to just, nothing that they are saying is at all important, most likely, so, (laughs) I mean, they could have just done, done, just say syllables, uh, and -hmm. no one will actually call them out on it, but since you're situating it in that time, in some distant silly time period. Not subtitling that means that everything important about the plot comes from the voiceover and the physical acting. Mm-hmm. And then they say words because why not?
0: Yeah. They do, have, I think, a pretty, because I, I watched it with subtitles, but they weren't, you know, burnt until the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they do a really good job of if there is something important in Egyptian that said immediately Evelyn, who we'll meet in a little bit, will parrot it back the translation. And I think exactly. that's a really nice, like, diegetic way to get around the fact that they are using multiple languages frequently in the script, while not necessarily, like, disrupting the flow of information. Because I I, look, I watch everything with subtitles. I started doing it when I started learning Mandarin, and now it's Force of Habit. But there is something fair. to be said for being able to just watch something and not have to also read while you're watching it. So I, I like the way that they handle it in this movie quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think it's a very seamless experience while still getting to actually include Egyptians. So not having to have that plot hole of like, hey, why is this fair speaking Eng- English fluently? Exactly. But anyway. Uh, 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 yes, we, we th- fast their plan. forward. <laughs> their plan is, we. before we fast forward, we, you're right, we should talk about the plan. Their plan plan is bad. (laughs) It's terrible. They're like, this is the worst curse in all of ancient Egypt. And it does seem like a a real shitty way to die. But it also seems like it's got a big old loophole in it that I feel like they should have foreseen being um, exploited. So they, they bury him alive with all the scarabs. He dies. Imhotep's dead. He's dead, dead. But if someone were to, centuries later, say, excavate his tomb and read from this somewhat fairly accessible black book as we'll learn later on it will curse them to be killed by him to resurrect Imhotep and then he becomes this all-powerful like creature of destruction who can bring ruin onto all of Egypt I'm like that why would you even give him that ability if regular mummies can't do this just make him a regular mummy and then you're done man you don't have to worry about him anymore
1: I mean there is some logic here actually that's not terrible uh, in that supposedly the point of this curse is to deny the houses of the dead. Uh, mm. Was that, like the fifth house of the Duat? Uh, the Egyptian otherworld is nuts. On the scale <laughs> of mythological otherworlds, this is like S, S-tier bonkers. Uh, but the houses of the dead are one of them, and so the point is to deny that. So it's, you don't even mm. get the chance of seeing Anubis and getting your heart weighed on the scales and getting it devoured by the crocodile hippo hybrid Amit, <laughs> right? You don't get any of that chance. You are just stuck in perpetual limbo and torment. Mm. Cool. You know, literally denying someone the afterlife, super well attested thing. As far as that goes, the logic makes sense. Mm-hmm. That being said, the fact that you're denying of the other world turns them into godlike powerful beings. Maybe. Maybe you should have let that curse continue to be a theoretical curse, rather than a real one. Or just,
0: like, move the book somewhere else. (laughs) Or,
1: true, you could also just not have the book there.
0: Store the mummy and the book in different locations. Because everything you need to create and or destroy this curse is contained in this one uh, ruin later on. one place. One place. So if anything happens to that one place, you're screwed. Uh, (laughs) And as we'll see, things will in fact happen to this one place. So we fast forward to 1923, the long, long time ago. Uh, Various armies are fighting over the land where the now ruined temple is, while the magi, descendants of the pharaoh's guards, keep watch to keep everyone from disturbing it. On one side, we have Brendan Fraser, aka Rick O'Connell, and Benny, who are Fighting in desperate odds, I so I couldn't tell if they were fighting the Magi or some it didn't other like. Look un- like it. It didn't look like it, and then later on it kind of did,
1: but eh, it's a It looked like it was a Rick plus Benny plus his Libyan regiment
0: mm-hmm.
1: went there, and then set up shop, and then a different army group came in, like very Lawrence yeah. of Arabia. We just had like two random horse. <laughs> It It was... Two groups of horseboys fighting each other. It was straight out Lawrence
0: of... Again, you can't talk about a desert movie and not constantly just be like, oh, it's straight out of Lawrence of Arabia. But, like, that movie is the blueprint for every desert movie that came after it. Exactly. Uh,
1: (laughs) But, right, the Magi are sitting up on the cliff watching them going, like, what the fuck are you guys doing?
0: Right. Uh, and, and the scene later on, horse boys roll in again, except it's not the same horse boys, it seems like, because then it is the Magi. We'll get to that. Yeah,
1: that time it is the Magi. That's yeah. like 30 minutes from now.
0: 30 minutes from now. The important part of this scene is Benny runs off to prove that he is a coward, so every time we see him from now on, we'll know, oh, Benny, scaredy cat, left, uh, left Rick to die. Great. Rick will try and make his escape, but get sort of like saved at the last minute by spooky swirling sands and <laughs> the sound of moaning, which is also something of a motif in this movie. <laughs>
1: Literally no idea how that happened, but let's roll with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Rick O'Connell
0: begins what he will do in every scene in this movie in this particular fight where he starts fighting with one gun and then switches to the two pistols he keeps holstered on either side and then just shoots at whatever's near him uh, and then
1: eventually gets disarmed and
0: continues to run. It's like his M.O. <laughs> very
1: clearly six shooters but mm-hmm. have about 15 bullets apiece.
0: Oh, yeah. Nobody's counting M.O. in this movie.
1: <laughs> But they show people reloading an awful lot for not counting ammo with any of the other things.
0: Yeah. Um, also, what like makes the horse guys stop attacking him is that a, a whisper on the wind says, "You will die," <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's it. Everyone just leaves to go do their separate things. I'm like, that's fascinating. Like terrifying. Brendan Fraser is not at all phased by this. He's like, I guess I will walk off into the desert now to go do other things because we cut away uh-huh. after the magi are like the desert will take care of him
1: by the way i know just enough arabic to know that what uh the magi say at the end is let the desert take him or i think actually i think more literally it's just the desert will take him so like should we go kill him no no the no, desert will deal with it
0: desert take care of it I guess and then, then you next, in time, the of next the time he
1: shows up the comment is the desert didn't get him <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, you can't you can't get Rick O'Connell with something measly like the desert come on <laughs> it takes like full mummy onslaught for him to be even a little bit phased uh, but yep. in, in in Cairo we meet Evelyn a librarian going through a collection of books at the Museum of antiquities she, she's restocking shelves sorting things out. Uh, And she's on a very, very high perilous ladder, which was very scary uh, as someone who's afraid of heights. And she she tilts the wrong way while trying to lean over to another bookshelf. And while regaining her balance, knocks over one bookshelf that knocks over
1: another. And that's right, kids. It's our classic bookshelf domino effect. It's such a good character introduction for the fact that everyone is just a little bit of a moron in this Mm -hmm. movie. (laughs) But also... My soul hurts at all those books that I knocked over.
0: I know, especially cuz it's it's these are rare manuscripts. This is not just any amateur's library. This is the Museum of Antiquities, and it's curated by a curator who runs in very distraught. He he yells at her a bit. He's like, "I wouldn't even keep you on if it wasn't for your parents being great patrons." And he had a he he complained about her in a way I really liked because he says, "Give me frogs, flies, locusts, anything, but you." And that was it. Just not only is it a line I plan to use in my day in day life, but also it sort of <laughs> ties into the plot of the movie. So I was like, great. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's great. Yeah, well, let's come, let's come back to that later. But yes, good foreshadowing.
0: Good foreshadowing. And she also takes this opportunity to like list her qualifications when he's like, "Why do I put up with you?" And we and we learn that you know she's she's our academic type. This is our this is our uh, our woman with the brain for the movie.
1: She's the all three brain cells anyone in this movie gets.
0: Oh yeah. We we kind of we start out with I quite, the, quite the gang, and we I. <laughs> Man, oof. If Rick O'Connell's oh. floppy hair will be haunting me for the rest of the week, Evelyn's just everything is going to be haunting me for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, she she hears a sound and goes to investigate and finds herself in a room full of many relics, uh, many, many mummies. And as she she hears a thud, uh, a mummy springs up, a little jump scare action. But it's quickly followed by her older brother, Jonathan, who clearly has no respect for the dead and a love of pranking his sister. Uh, she's like, I don't have time for you. I'm too busy doing academic stuff. And he's like, no, no, no. Don't don't brush me off yet. I have an artifact for you. And he hands her an octagon shaped box. Inside is a parchment, <gasps> a seal of Seti I on it. What could this this artifact be? Surely it's it's not a plot relevant. It is. No, no, of
1: course not. <laughs> By the way, for some reason, it's paper. Mm-hmm. The The map in there is just clearly paper. Yeah. 1300 BC, guess what they're not using? Hmm, is it paper? <laughs> it's paper. They're us- they'd be using papyrus, which if you fold it that way, will just break into pieces.
0: Yes, I think that one may be chalked up to the limitations of modern prop making, but it certainly a is a flaw a in bit. the
1: otherwise historically accurate film. Exactly. Right? Weirdly high effort in some places, just as weirdly low effort in some places. Mm-hmm. Pick one. It's
0: about balance, you know? You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta
1: give and take with a movie like this. Then again, papyrus doesn't burn the way that the that the paper did.
0: That's true, I and mean, we do need to see it burn because uh, they, they what they've discovered here is is a map map of uh, Mac, a map of homonoptera Haman, yep. I'm never yep. going to pronounce this correctly. I'm going to apologize to everyone listening in advance, and we're just going to have that be the blanket apology on my <laughs> pronunciations of Egyptian for the rest of the movie, uh, podcast, whatever. <laughs> Evelyn and her brother are showing the map to the curator, and they're all talking about whether they think the City of the Dead exists. It's supposed to contain uh, crazy treasures. It's a treasure map, basically. And her brother's excited about the possible money, but as they're arguing the curator, very it's blink and you miss it. This is, I think, a great moment for the curator here. He leans the paper into a lamp on his desk, and it begins to catch fire. He knows something more than he's shown with this map. That's just not a. That's just not a kooky boy pulling an accident like he brushes it off. And no, no, no. There's some intent behind that action.
1: No self-respecting curator, even in the wildlands of the 1920s archaeology, <laughs> would ever do something like that. Mm-hmm. So you should be suspicious.
0: Yeah, that's the first instance of I think just like. This movie has some of the best blocking in, I think, all of cinema. It's got some of the best uh, physical humor, it's got some of the best physical acting, and there's some really well-composed scenes. Watching the curator in this front shot slowly lean the paper towards the candle while the other two are distracted arguing with each other behind him is the first, like, clear example of this. And I, I, even if you don't want to go watch this whole movie, I highly recommend you just look up some individual scenes for the blocking because it is... Chef's kiss golden. On the cryptic uh, note from the curator that many men have wasted their lives looking for homunchpot Homonopter, oh <laughs> <Okay>. uh. <laughs> homonoptra. Uh Yes. And Close most up. have never returned. We cut to the siblings entering a Cairo prison. Wonder who we'll find here. Who possibly could have been the only one what? to return? Evelyn's talking to the uh, warden. She's like, what's this guy in prison for? We, we need him. And he's like, I don't know. we must have done something bad. Uh, and we get to meet messy Be- Brendan Fraser, Rick O'Connell. Channeling he's back. Channeling
1: his previous role of George of the Jungle. Oh, yes.
0: Another amazing <laughs> Brendan Fraser turn. If we start talking about George of the Jungle... We're (laughs) We're going to be on this podcast for hours. (laughs) But he is the man that uh, her brother Jonathan picked the pocket of to get the artifact originally. Uh, Rick immediately knows that they're looking for Haman... I'm going to get it by the end of this podcast. Yep. (laughs) And also takes the opportunity to punch Jonathan, which, you know, fair. Jonathan kind of deserves it.
1: I love Jonathan. Yeah, like everyone in the everyone but, in this movie kind of deserves it.
0: Yeah, exactly. No one in this movie is like a perfect person, and I think that that really helps sell why they all get along so well, despite
1: kind of you know cheerfully. I'd go a little bit farther than not perfect, in that everyone is lovably hateable.
0: Yeah, they've all got like just something that's a little bit off with them, whether it's being perhaps too narrow-minded narrow-sighted in how they approach their academic research or being a little bit trigger happy in the case of o'connell or you know whatever their their hang-up might be it's all sort of just a part of the rich tapestry of characters in this movie (laughs) part of what makes it a bisexual icon uh film Rick asks Evelyn if she she really wants him to tell her where the city is, and they lean really close together, and he tricks her to get a smooch, and then gets dragged away by the guards, yelling that she's got to get him out of prison if she wants to find the city. She asks the warden what's happening to him, and the warden's like, uh, that dude, yeah, he's going to be hung, like, right now. So Evelyn keeps trying to bid on uh, Rick O'Connell's life, and it looks like the bid isn't taken. He's dropped through... The gallows, but his neck doesn't break, and he's sort of hanging there, and Evelyn continues to barden with the warden about the treasure from Haman... Haman (laughs) Hamanop... Uh, And eventually, it works by giving him a cut of the treasure. Rick O'Connell is saved, and our adventuring crew is assembled. At the port, the siblings are waiting on Rick, who cleans up great. Uh, And O'Connell Magnificently. Oh, man, that's my Halloween costume next year. I'm calling it now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What happens with this movie every time I watch it is I forget how much I like this movie, and then I watch it and I'm like man the mummy's such a great movie I love this movie and then I stop the movie and I forget how much I enjoyed it and then a year later I'll watch it again yep. and I'm like wow the mummy's a great movie I forgot how much I love this movie and the cycle repeats like some sort of Sisyphus-y and torment Um, but it's a great movie. You should all watch it. Uh, (laughs) O'Connell sort of walks with them and explains that his garrison, you know, believed the story of this lost city so much that they marched into the desert to find it and only to find nothing but sand and ruins. And that sort of explains why he was where he was at the beginning of the movie. The warden also shows up to board the ship with them. He's like, I'm going to protect my investment. So we've sort of got our crew of, um, the siblings treasure party aka the protagonist of the movie and as we will meet shortly a, a crew of americans led by benny who are also boarding the same steamship in order to find the the, the city of the dead uh with their ooh, with the only other person to have ever walked away from the city and survived in the dark the magi are also rowing boats towards the steamship as it heads down the river Uh, our crew playing cards as Jonathan spills too many of the beans about where they're going to the Americans. Uh, (laughs) What a, what a, (laughs) Jonathan, what a dum-dum. We, (laughs) you gotta love his gum-ho, but at the same time.
1: (laughs) But he, uh, I mean, for how much they fairly justly make fun of the Americans, he is far worse than any of them.
0: Yeah, the Americans are um, painfully accurate stereotypes, but Jonathan is at many points just, just the densest man I've ever <laughs> seen on screen. <laughs> but yep. surprisingly acute at times as well, particularly when it comes to his sister and O'Connell. But uh, as, we'll, as we'll see, there's a bit of tension there as Rick goes to find Evelyn reading on the deck and she sort of sasses him about his manners and his kiss and O'Connell's like pulls out this bag that he'll carry throughout the entire movie that is just only full of various kinds of guns and weaponry. Uh, and he's like, there's something evil under them sands. He doesn't talk like that, but he did in my mind. <laughs> Evelyn explains yeah. that she wants to find the city of Haman, Haman-
1: Hamanatra. Sp-
0: Hamanatra it's spelled differently in my notes here for some reason which means at this point autocorrect is starting to catch up with me uh, she-, <laughs> she wants to find uh, the lost golden tome uh, it's been a fascination her whole life before O'Connell inevitably says something sassy to her and she storms off uh, O'Connell then runs into Benny and asks him if why he's going back if he, he never believed in Haman- Hamanatra Hamanatra? Whatever. Coming after, yes. I'm just going to start pointing to you, and we're just going to cue you to say it instead. Otherwise, this podcast is going to take two hours. And O'Connell's like, you see that girl? She saved my neck. To which Benny responds that um, O'Connell always had more balls than brains, and O'Connell responds by throwing him overboard. This will end up being a good move for Benny, because (laughs) O'Connell then notices wet footprints on the deck, but they're not from his overboard friend oh no no danger is afoot back in her
1: <laughs> spooky. by movie. the way i want to talk about these two books uh uh-huh. quick because now that she's like oh yeah i want to get this grand book of Amun ra it actually kind has not no grounding just just a hint of a grounding in that seti the first ruled in the dynasty after Akhenaten and hmm. Akhenaten quite famously you know outlaws the entirety of traditional Egyptian religion and tries to set up Aten, which is another aspect of Ra, but Mm. not the same one as the sole deity. And it's actually the priests of Amun-Ra who are critical to overthrowing him. So the idea that the cult of Amun-Ra specifically is incredibly important in Egyptian society at the time where the intro of the movie takes place actually kind of works. Huh. On the flip side, the Book of the Dead is a text that we have, but is in fact not bound in a book because the Codex, your book-shaped book doesn't exist yet. Right. <laughs> we're over, We're almost 2,000 years away from the proliferation of the book-shaped book.
0: Hmm. It sounds like everyone was doing their research except the props department. Like, it sounds like the screenwriters were on it, you know. Uh, all the customers were like, yeah, we got you, we got you. And then the props department was like, hey, we made these books. I hope they work because they're what we're using.
1: <laughs> uh, the books look sick. Oh, don't get me great. wrong. The books look fabulous.
0: Aesthetically flawless. Accurate. A little more wibbly. <laughs> yeah. Meh. Yeah. Meh.
1: Yeah. Meh. Yeah. But, I mean, the Book of the Dead is, like, the text that describes the journey through the Duat to the afterlife. Hmm. All of that. It's often inscribed on the walls of high-status tombs so we've got uh, multiple copies of it pieced together from like a bunch of archaeological excavations
0: seems like a a poor hiding it doesn't bring people
1: back to life yeah i
0: was gonna say if if you know in the world of this movie that reading from this book will bring people back to life maybe don't inscribe it onto the walls of various tombs that said maybe it's like one inscription i don't know i'm not an egyptologist (laughs) i'm not here to to tell them how to execute their curses i'm just here to talk about what their curses did
1: they sure did stuff they
0: they sure did so in her cabin evelyn is getting ready for bed for the evening when a magi appears behind her in the mirror and puts a knife to her throat and starts demanding the map it looks grim for our girl evelyn but
1: important note important note his knife is just his hand his hand got chopped off and it isn't it is a hook knife it is or is a like fist, fist punch man knife. <laughs>
0: Incredible. I didn't even notice that. I'm so glad you picked up on that. That's very cool. I love it when someone... for no obvious thing. reason. He's
1: he's like only in this scene and never in Yeah, again, he gets marked but... immediately, but I'm glad that <laughs> he's got he's got he's got a knife for a hand. <laughs>
0: Good for him. Uh, it, it looks sort of grim with our knife handed friend there, but O'Connell busts in pistols of dual pistols are blazing Oof! what a look and it's fight time uh he manages to hit a lamp and now the couch is on fire and they sort of start to flee evelyn's like the map i left it in the room and o'connell points out like dude i am the map (laughs) we don't need the map the map is not the important part (laughs) you got me
1: (laughs) it's almost like we hired someone who has been there before
0: i'm like you hired a guide You're good girl uh it it looks like the magi will get the key but jonathan manages to bust back into the room looking for evelyn and grabs the the trinket uh box as everyone begins to abandon ship i feel like i forgot to mention this the magi keeps referring to the trinket box as the key surely that won't come up later at all uh
1: (laughs) god so many things will be better if that box just sank oh so so many right also you could have just like melted the box
0: you know, you're right. There's so many things here. It's like, like on oh, the one hand, in the, the past 3000
1: years, <laughs> they could have just melted the box down.
0: It's it's a curse that simultaneously like they left all their fail-safes in for, but also if they had gotten rid of any of their fail-safes, they wouldn't have needed them in the first place. Like if they had like hid the book somewhere, the black book somewhere else, destroyed the key, made it impossible to open that sarcophagus in the first place. Potentially could have made, made the made the sarcophagus and the book need different keys yes i was so sure that the the golden book was going to need a different key we'll get to that at the end because i looked at it and i was like <laughs> that's a different keyhole. um i got i got eagle eyes that's that's different they're gonna need a different key for that nope. and, and that was not at all that was that was a complete mis miscarry on my part uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh so the magi shoot at o'connell and he uh, as he throws evie overboard and out of the way at the occasion of course calling for swimming And as he goes to jump in the water, another Magi, and he have a little one-on-one, the warden sort of catches him mid this this combat and asks O'Connell what they're going to do before O'Connell jumps overboard, and the warden shortly follows. All of our gang are uh, (laughs) taking the opportunity to abandon ship the Americans doing so as well. Uh, Jonathan does take the opportunity before he uh, jumps off the ship to first say Americans and then later say bloody good show chaps. And I was just really glad that they gave him the opportunity to be as overwhelmingly British as possible at every single turn (laughs) in his dialogue. Everyone makes their way to shore, the Americans wet, annoyed, but with all the materials on one side of the river and O'Connell and gang on the other. Evie sort of complains about losing all their stuff before, uh, and Benny takes the opportunity to taunt O'Connell about this particular point before O'Connell points
1: out that Benny and co. are on the wrong side of the river. Not that this matters in any way, shape, or form. No, they but, still show up at the same place presu- the same presumably, time. <laughs> presumably this river is
0: literally the Nile I mean, to be fair, my knowledge of rivers in Egypt is very limited to that one river, but... That's pretty much the one river. <laughs> it seems like it's gotta be that, right? <laughs> what else could it be?
1: Uh-huh. Which means, one, I wish there was a little bit more, you know, threat of crocodile. Mm, that's just, very true. Just for the extra tension. Uh, <laughs> and two, how did they get back across the river so fast?
0: Well, they did have the horses. Um, that's that's all I got. I, I don't have a good yep. theory on their river fair. transportation methods. <laughs> Sort of just, uh, plot armor ex machina on that one. Yep. Uh, at a market later on, Jonathan and crew are haggling over some camels, and Evie gets a change of clothes, which of course, hottie alert, it's it's the veiled outfit we all know and love, and O'Connell seems to love it too. The gang (laughs) starts riding off on their newly acquired camels into the desert, Jonathan complaining the whole time, as he is wont to do, and we get our, market off your bingo cards, kids, (laughs) Lawrence of Arabia homages.
1: Yeah. Uh. For the record, I am with Jonathan regarding camels. Oh. Camels are the worst. <laughs> camels suck. Really? I've never encountered a camel in
0: real life, so I'm going to defer to your they're, expertise they're, on this one.
1: The one time I've been is actually near where they filmed, uh, hmm. because they filmed in Morocco, not in Egypt.
0: Hmm, that checks out.
1: Yep. Well, that's pretty much all movies set in Egypt filmed in Morocco. Yeah, it's a very popular location. There's some like good textbooks uh-huh. there. But the one time I've been r- riding a camel out there... The camel yelled at me and tried to bite me. And then once I got on, refused to let me get off. Oh, no. So, you know, I'm with Jonathan regarding camels. They're just not worth the effort.
0: Camels, an enemy of the pod. (laughs) (laughs) We get various wide shots of desert, as is tradition ever since the days of Lawrence of Arabia, as the gang trudges over dune and dune and dune again. Heat indicated to us by the ever-present orange wash that is color-corrected over every single (laughs) shot. And then changed rapidly to a blue wash as we enter night in the desert. (laughs) Yep. There's a very strong um, color theory in this movie, and it's orange and blue. They're complementary colors, and whoever color graded this movie was very committed to them. Uh, <laughs> Correct. <laughs> the gang is all in various stages of falling asleep when a horse neighing nearby alerts O'Connell. It's Benny and the Americans having also approached the starting line to where they, I guess, will race to the city. So this this scene, they had me lost for a second there, and then I sort of came back around as I'm somewhat familiar with the concept of races. See um, the Speed Racer movie of the <laughs> episode of this podcast for context on that one. Uh, so Benny and the Americans and O'Connell and crew have made a little bit of a bet to see whoever gets to the city first gets $500. And the only way to get to the city at this point in the movie, this will never be relevant again, is to watch the sunrise uh, and to see the city sort of form... A, a, a mirage before becoming solid off in the distance of the desert and then you run towards that mirage when it materializes. So the sun begins to rise, our mirage city begins to materialize, and everybody is off to the races running towards Hamanatra, Hamanatra.
1: I sh- oh. Yeah, got it on the first try. <laughs> Woohoo!
0: <laughs> I still corrected it. 500 bucks on the line, Benny and O'Connell are neck and neck until O'Connell pushes Benny off of his camel. Great, this one could be a running theme. Uh, and then O'Connell and Evie manage to take the front both charging on their camels towards the ruins making it in first Woo, 500 bucks for them we never get to see that payout but it it happens I guess everyone everyone makes camp excavation begins the American and Benny are taking the chance to be sexist and then Evie gets to explain the scholarship around the book that she's looking for before setting up uh, some mirrors in the tomb to illuminate it using what she describes as an ancient Egyptian trick Uh, and O'Connell seems pretty uh, impressed by this he also takes yep. the opportunity to give Evie a present. In like, <laughs> he's so nervous about it. It's so cute. Uh,
1: it was so cute.
0: Because <laughs> he's such like a confident, suave, scoundrelly character in every other scene, but right now he's like, I um, I stole these from the Americans. I uh, for take these, and it's a it's a bunch of excavating tools. It's
1: uh, it's so cute. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> I love it so much. I I have no intelligent commentary here. Just that. Oh my god, it's so cute.
0: Yeah, exactly. my note is just, aww. <laughs> Which I think was the sound I made watching that scene also. The warden, who, remember him, he's also here, uh, takes the opportunity to say he hopes they don't find any bugs, because he hates bugs. I bet that line won't come back to haunt him at all. He in Egypt.
1: <laughs> just, he
0: lives in Egypt. He lives in Egypt. Also, they're exploring ruins. I don't know a lot about bugs, but I know that they're usually there.
1: You're in the desert. There are scorpions, there are snakes, there are bugs. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the gang enters the tombs. They take the opportunity to adjust the mirrors and illuminate the room that they're in. And Evie explains that they're in a preparation room where mummies were made. Oh, they say the word mummy. Roll credits. Uh, (laughs) torches in hand. They continue on as the sound of ominous, as the subtitles say, skittering happens. And the warden takes the opportunity to once again remind the audience that he
1: hates bugs. The scarab sound effects are genuinely kind of creepy. Like, A-plus job of putting them right behind you every single time. Yes.
0: Oh, the mixing in this movie is is very good in regard to like how... Because the sound mixing refers to like how the sound is played both in context to each other in a movie, but also in context to what speakers you hear things out of. And typically you do like a 5.1 mix to go into a movie theater. You got your speakers in the front, in the back, in the center. But the way that sound travels from one speaker to another can be a really effective way to, like, build suspense in a movie because it makes the audience think that something is coming from behind or in front of them, and they do a really good job of that with the skittering in this movie. Also, the scarabs are downright terrifying. Everything about them, it's, it's the one part of this movie that is genuinely hard for me to watch. I'm like, mummy stuff? We're good. Weird nonsense going on? Excellent. Sand monsters? Sure. Sk- bugs? Nah, son. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do not we'll, we'll get to them because they're about to murk someone in a few scenes but <laughs> they're, yeah. not, they're not friendly bugs Yep. uh the crew arrive at the legs of anubis where there is supposedly a secret compartment containing the book that evie is looking for uh and, and uh, ominous voices echo in the distance O'Connell oh, brings out his second pistol so you know that shit's about to get real but it's just the other treasure hunters, just the Americans and Benny. Evie tells the men to move along since they got here first, and the men are like, no, 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 this is a standoff. We got more than you. We're we're, we're doing this before Evie starts to notice something in the floor and tells her and boys that they can go somewhere else. So the gang dips down under the legs while the Americans take the top. Uh, but Warden, he
1: goes off on his own. He's going to get up to some of his own shenanigans. Uh-huh. That's... I... Have no explanation why because the sense of space, right? The map of uh, how this whole thing fits together is very mm, non-existent, yeah. to put it generously.
0: <laughs> it they, it seems to just sort of be that things connect to what is most convenient for them to connect to at any <laughs> given moment.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Which I guess is certainly like an M.C. Escher architectural style, if you if you feel that vibe. But um, you know not the end of the world uh so the warden is crawling through a variety of tight tunnels and he finds a mural with all these blue gold coated scarabs scra- stuck into it bugs bet they won't come back to haunt him meanwhile the americans get their diggers to open some secret compartment in the feet of anubis and as they do the diggers get covered in an evil dust that burns them to their death Ooh, we've had our
1: first Whoa, fatalities spooky. of the movie <laughs> okay obligatory, you know, this is a movie that has come after Indiana Jones, therefore we have booby traps Mm -hmm. in Egyptian tombs for no... Particularly discernible reason.
0: Yes, it's, uh, I mean, I guess it is a tomb containing a, a cursed entity that could rain destruction on all of Egypt, so I suppose you would want to dissuade people from entering it. But I also feel like you could just station a Magi guy outside and be like, hey, if you enter this tomb, like, you're going to get murked by an evil mummy and s- destroy all of us. And I feel like that would be a much more effective warning than just, like, various yeah. booby traps. Because if you get through the traps,
1: yeah. you're in. Exactly. And also doesn't require techno babble. To explain the booby traps. I think they call it like salt acid. Yeah, something like that. not sure what that's
0: supposed to mean. It's one of many deadly dusts in this movie.
1: (laughs) There's (laughs) a
0: variety of them. You (laughs) take your pick. Jonathan is kind of goofing off mimicking some golfing when a sarcophagus falls from the ceiling of the chamber that our, our heroes are in. And... Evie does her Egyptologist thing and explains that this sarcophagus either contains something of great importance or someone who did something very, very naughty. I wonder which it Mm -hmm. could be.
1: (laughs) Gee. By the way, they say that the name on it is He Who Shall Not Be Named. Yes. Which is (laughs) very funny, first (laughs) off. Uh, Secondly, not actually how Egypt as far as i know for the most part how egypt erased people from memory because that is a thing that you do right you obliterate Uh their names on but you can carve their name and then scratch it out like Mm. just destroy the cartouche with the name on it destroy their face on any uh, depictions all that stuff are things that are actually attested of right yeah, we d- we decided we didn't like this guy anymore because they did something very naughty. Very naughty, as Evie says. Yeah, they didn't take
0: the um, they didn't take the Voldemort approach. So it was very funny that the movie did.
1: Yes, <laughs> that was very very funny.
0: And also, no one will refer to him by
1: that moniker ever again. It's just ever written on a sarcophagus. Li- li- Right, he who we don't even want to remember his name, except for all the people involved to remember his name and then freely say it.
0: Yes, it's there's nothing there's nothing bad associated with his name, other than like he w- he did something very naughty, and therefore we don't like to talk about him. But as soon as you have to talk about it, people just use his regular name, like it's nothing. Yep. So remember the warden. Remember how many times he told us that he didn't like bugs. Well, I've got some bad news for all the warden fans out there. Uh, As he is stuffing these scarabs into his bag, they hatch into a terrifying real scarab that, and this is going to be a little bit of a body horror warning for our viewers. If you are uncomfortable with that, perhaps skip ahead about a minute or so. The scarab like crawls underneath his skin and it's like this little bump moving up his arm and into his face and it is horrifying.
1: (laughs) He starts freaking
0: out, as we all would in that situation. As Evie and gang continue to examine the sarcophagus, Uh, They find- they see a lock on it that suspiciously looks like the box we saw earlier and O'Connell explains that it'll take them like a month to open this thing without a key, which is what kind of makes Evie put together that the box was the key in the first place and she puts the key in the lock but they don't open it just yet because they hear the warden screaming as he goes running down the tunnels uh, and as they, they see him crash into another wall and just dies right before their eyes. Spooky. Something has already gone
1: horribly yep. wrong. Look, it's what he gets for saying, I don't like bugs. And then immediately the first thing he does is try and pry bug-shaped things off the wall. I mean, right? it's, you got, does, does he not point,
0: understand screenwriting 101? The...
1: <laughs> exactly. Come on, the, man. The sheer lack of genre savviness got him.
0: <laughs> That's Everyone who dies first in a horror movie is just the least genre-savvy character. That's the new rule of thumb. Final girl is just the person who's watched the most horror movies, person who gets murked in the first 30 minutes. I'm sorry, you should have been more genre savvy.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, That night, the gang is recapping what happened, and they talk about how the place is uh, probably cursed before the wind takes the opportunity to once again howl ominously. Evie takes the opportunity to explain that she doesn't believe in curses. O'Connell explains that he believes in being prepared, so I guess he's a real big boy scout, and cocks a gun to explain what his version of being prepared is. Uh, And Jonathan believes in stealing, so he goes through the warden's bag, now that their friend has died, and finds a very nice old bottle of booze. As he begins to explain how good that drink is, a sound kind of rouses them from their conversation, and it's the Magi in the Americans' camp, and uh, very much on the attack. Uh, This is where I got a little confused about whether they were the Magi or the horse guys in the beginning, but it's explicitly the Magi in this scene. Yes. Jonathan starts drinking and shooting, which was very funny, uh, and Benny sort of joins yep. him for a moment. I, Jonathan is like a great character for cutaways because he's always doing something just like a little bit kooky, and he's cowardly without being a coward necessarily. Uh, in the same way that Benny e- exactly. is. Exactly. So it, it's a really it's a really fun sort of like ride along character for the audience to lock onto because O'Connell and Evie are both basically superheroes in this movie, either in terms of like. <laughs> raw plot related knowledge or ability to shoot infinite bullets and then Jonathan is just kind of like a dude who just survives through sheer like British character acting. (laughs) So I I love the cutaways to him in this movie. I I noted a lot of them down. O'Connell helps Evie up during the fight and the Americans are like hey uh we got them rid of them today after O'Connell did a variety of tackling and shooting and dynamiting. Uh, but maybe we should combine forces to, like, stay safe at night. And they all agree that that's probably a good course of action, having survived just this one Magi attack.
1: By the way, it's worth noting, the way that they get out of the Magi attack at the end, because, uh, they were in fact losing that very (laughs) badly, is that O'Connell nearly blows literally the whole camp up. Yeah. (laughs) By lighting a stick of dynamite.
0: He does. O'Connell, uh is facing down one of the Magi writers, who I believe is our our good friend later on, yes. Ardith Bay.
1: Yep. has yeah. a fact we have a sword with Ardith and a stick, dueling a stick of dynamite. hmm mm-hmm. Everyone can, decides that's a bad idea.
0: Yeah, he's like, mm, okay, we won't blow up. But he does leave them with the warning that if they don't leave within a day, they will all die, whether by the Magi's
1: hand or the curse of the tomb. <laughs> now, I feel like this would have been a really great point, time to, you know, start explaining... At least, you know, but it's a case of, you know, the audience knows that at least O'Connell is willing to buy that there's a curse because the wind is awfully conveniently timed in this (laughs) ruin. (laughs) You know,
0: it's like, hey, you guys didn't notice the like freaky sand face last time you were here. Maybe just like leave this place alone.
1: The warning signs are all there. You you hear the moaning that is in fact actually just dead people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The wind is not a coincidence. Your instincts are correct here. You should just go. Just leave.
0: Just be safe. It's fine. Everyone's got their motivations, as we learn in the next scene, as O'Connell and Evie are drinking and fighting.
1: They're all bad motivations, but that's okay. Bad
0: motivations, but motivations nonetheless. Uh, O'Connell's giving Evie, like, fake boxing lessons as she's very drunk and they drink into the evening and they take the chance to bond. Evie explains that her father was an explorer who married an Egyptian woman, her mother. And O'Connell's like, yeah, I understand, like, your father and your mother and your brother, but, like, what are you doing here? Uh, What's your whole deal? And Evie stands up. She says that she's proud of what she is, which is a librarian. Fabulous. Fabulous. <laughs> and then she declares that she's going to kiss Rick, who tells her to call him Rick, uh, because she's been calling him Mr. O'Connell up to this point. Instead, she passes out, and Rick looks kind of disappointed. I was like, me too, Rick. Uh, he looks me so too. disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> he looks so sad. After he did the whole cute handoff of digging tools earlier. Come on.
1: Ah. Uh, <laughs> uh. Such, such a good scene.
0: So good. Their whole... Where many movie rom- romances feel rushed and uh, the actors have no chemistry, Rick and Evie are just adorable the whole way through. I'm rooting for them the whole time. I'm like, ah. Oh, exactly. I'd love to see it. They have such great chemistry. Yup. The next day, the Americans continue opening the secret compartment, bringing out a cursed chest Actually, on which...
1: By the way, before we get in there, I did look this up. Supposedly, the famous explorer... It's supposed to be the guy who funded Howard Carter's expedition that uh, discovered Tutankhamun's tomb. Huh. So, wow. yeah, there's something that may have gotten cut on the floor, but mm. there still, still is documented that that was the original intention. Is that supposed to be someone related to Howard Carter's expedition?
0: Yeah, that sort of explains why the curator was like, yeah, your, your father and your mother were such great patrons of our, our Museum of Antiquities, uh-huh. and if that's really who he was, that, that, that sort of like ties that in right there. That's, that's a neat fun fact. Thank you thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the next day, the Americans are opening the secret compartment, bringing out a cursed chest, and we know it's a cursed chest because their, <laughs> their Egyptologist quickly translates it to say, death will come on swift wings to whomsoever opens this chest... And then, of course, after reading that, the wind makes more strange, ominous moaning noises. So the clues are all there, gang. Benny is uh, terrified by this and leaves the room.
1: See, Benny is extremely genre savvy.
0: Benny is extremely genre savvy. He's just not very, like, character savvy, as we'll learn later on. They basically just read the rest of it, which more or less comes to, say, open at your own risk unless you want to become a sacrifice for a terrifying mummy man. Uh, (laughs) Have your organs assimilated or don't open this chest. And the Americans open it, of course. Dooming them all. Dooming Meanwhile, them all. <laughs> our heroes down below them go about opening the sarcophagus. Surely these events won't be related at all. It's
1: not like they very obviously have the same lock on them.
0: Impossible. Oh, yes. And inside the chest is, of course, the uh, a, a black book, the Book of the Dead, which also has the key that the sarcophagus has. Uh, and, and as our gang underground opens up the sarcophagus, a, a mummy pops out. So far, unmoving. And Evie tells us that this mummy, she's never seen the like of before. And O'Connell and Jonathan helpfully describe the mummy as juicy.
1: Mm. Mm. (laughs) What visceral! The
0: dialogue in this movie is. Perfect. O'Connell notices scratches on the lid of the sarcophagus. This man was clearly buried alive and a message was carved in by him as well. Death is only the beginning. Surely this will not be tied to our cursed priest from the beginning of the movie, Imhotep. Just a coincidental
1: juicy mummy, you know? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Note note on the mummification process. Mm -hmm. It is literally impossible for a mummy to remain juicy because part of the process is spending weeks in salts and embalming herbs to mm. dry out the body you it's not just wrap someone in lemons and shove them in a box <laughs>
0: I, I have a lot of questions about this actually because it. they say in the beginning that his priests were all mummified while they were alive and that's how they all died and that explains why they're all mummies right which i don't i don't <laughs> know the logistics on that but i assume they said they explicitly said mummification but with imhotep they just sort of like wrapped him up and put him in a box with all the beetles and he was still alive I don't actually know if they mummified him first. It seems like that, yeah, no, they just
1: sort of no, did wrap him up.
0: So did the scarabs mummify him?
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: You see a bug mummy? That's terrifying. I, he does have bugs in him all the time. That's worse. Yeah. I, I
1: hate that. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, don't, don't question the logic of mummification. Because, it's, yeah, the process... They're, they're right on the removing the organs and putting them into optic jars. They miss the part where, after you remove the organs, you pack the body with herbs and salt to suck all the juice out of it. Mmm. So it's impossible to have a juicy mummy. Correct, because that's what keeps it from rotting. And then you seal the sarcophagus. So, yeah, um... 10 out of 10 horror, 0 out of of 10, you'd have a puddle of goop.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not quite as terrifying, the goop puddle, as the uh, actual mummy is. That evening, yep. Evie sees the American Egyptologist struggling to open the book and sort of quips at him that like, oh, I, you need a key for that, but then doesn't give him the key. The Americans, who all have these organ bottles that they got from inside the cursed chamber, are sort of like taunting Rick about the
1: treasure that they found. Canoptic jars aren't that valuable. We've got a lot of them, as it turns out. Huh. Yeah, that kind of checks out, actually, like, I think. In, in 1925, I'd actually say the mummy itself is probably more valuable than the canoptic jars. Because you could grind up the mummy for paint and medicine. Oh. <laughs> Cause that was unfortunately a thing that was done. Uh vast quantities. Thousands of mummies in the twenties and thirties were destroyed. Uh it's actually since like the eighteen eighties to like the nineteen thirties. Were mm-hmm. destroyed because it was a fad to grind them up for pigment in paints and as medicinal powders. The because reasons? <laughs> I I cannot speak to the Victorian logic of thinking that snorting mummy dust was good for the health.
0: (laughs) Those Victorians, man. They were up to all sorts Uh, of nonsense. Wild times.
1: Wild times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Evie sort of explains that the the juicy mummy they found suffered from the humdi, the uh, worst of all curses, and that if the victim of this punishment was... Supposedly to arise later on, they would bring with them the ten plagues of Egypt. Remember when the curator mentioned the plagues earlier? Well, I sure hope you've done your research onto what those plagues were, because they're definitely going to be plot relevant in just a, a
1: little smidgen. Oh. Why aren't they using the plagues from the <laughs> Book of Exodus?
0: Uh, it's just—it's. We'll see later that they really—they're crossing religious boundaries in this movie uh, quite a bit. Quite, quite freely quite freely. I guess, you know, they just had a flair for the dramatic. Maybe they thought that they were just like, we'll just say ten plagues and then hopefully by the time this mummy gets on Earth, ten plagues will have happened and we can just sort of rehash (laughs) those, you know? It was just like a stab in the
1: dark. (laughs) Actually, theoretically, uh, you know, under the fairly bogus identification of the Pharaoh of Exodus as Ramses the Great, Hmm. Uh let me double check that because I'm bad I am a historian who is very bad at dates. Okay, uh, yeah, uh he He is actually from he's Seti the First Son. Hmm. that's what I thought. So it's actually right on right in the right time, sort of. I mean the f- mm-hmm. The identification of the Pharaoh of Exodus with Ramses the Great is wrong, but assuming that that's right, it's actually the r- r- just about the right time—it's one generation early for the ten plagues. So wow. you know, not as bad as it could have been, but again, surprising level
0: of historical research going into a movie that otherwise is ostensibly about a monster mummy.
1: <laughs> exactly, a high-effort shitposting. High-effort
0: shitposting—that's that's the gold standard right there. Truly. Uh, so Evie sneaks the book from the Egyptologist in the middle of the night and she and O'Connell go to open it she's like no harm has ever come from reading a book but the wind takes the opportunity to howl ominously and Rick says out loud that that happens a lot around here which is very funny because it implies that all of this ominous whooshing is diegetic to the movie <laughs> Yep, yep, and uh, I you'll love, love it. that <laughs> I think that is so good The concept of them hearing all this ominous swooshing and continuing on their courses of action every single time is perfect character, uh character building right there. Uh Uh-huh. Evie begins to read from inside the book, and as she does so, the very juicy mummy begins to come back to life. The Egyptologist rushes over and he's like, You must not read from the book. And now the whole camp is up and awake.
1: (gasps) So I have a question for him specifically. Yes. I have a question for him specifically. Why the heck was he trying to open the book if he knows what the book is and that it's a book that should not be read?
0: This man, clearly aware of what's up, still took the book out of the tomb, still- Still tried to open it. Tried to open it, fell asleep holding it, only awoke at the last possible second. I- like this- this guy should have been on high alert from the minute they got the book, because clearly he seems to buy into the curse and what will happen if they read it, So you'd think you'd take more measures to stop someone from, I don't know, reading it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, uh, but genre savviness is... is, Too many characters in this movie use that as their dump stat, Mm -hmm. and it's a problem.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, never make genre savvy your dump stat. It's a very good way to get killed at a very low level. Uh, But the, the curse has begun, we know this because uh, hundreds of thousands of bugs come buzzing in a massive swarm over the desert and into the camp, and everyone goes oh we're running those who get trapped by the bugs being eaten alive, uh, and the Egyptologist standing in a swarm of bugs talking about how like what have we
1: done L- locusts are herbivorous just for the record hmm scarabs are also scarab i mean scarabs mostly eat poo, but the uh, Locusts eat crops, that's what makes them dangerous. Not they eat people, so mm. these bugs are just These bugs are on some shit.
0: Yeah, these bugs are also selective on whose shit they fuck up because they don't eat the Egyptologists, but they like they do eat some of the just like extra diggers that the Americans brought with them. Which unfortunately for these diggers um that the Americans brought along they are pretty much existing like the Star Trek ensign to get killed off to show what the stakes are in any given scene. Like they, none of I don't think any of them survive. No,
1: I, mean, I think that's a probably direct borrowing for from Indiana Jones on mm. this particular genre moment.
0: Yes. <laughs> Uh, Everyone flees into the tomb. One of the Americans drops his glasses and has a little Velma from Scooby-Doo moment trying to find them. Uh, And Benny eventually steps on them and and this American, now very blind, as we see through several POV shots where the whole thing is gauzy and blurred to high hell, uh, struggles to find his way through the tomb getting left behind by his gang. As he he wanders away, a thudding and growling very ominously picks up in the background. uh, This man... Mm, not looking good for him because yeah. he has no glasses we yeah. the audience also do not see the face of his attacker very clearly yet but uh needless to say <laughs> it's certainly not a normal not, attacker not hard,
1: not hard to guess <laughs>
0: meanwhile Rick and co are making their way through a better lit tunnel when a bunch of scarabs bursts from the floor Rick uh, shoots at them which is just hilarious because it is a swarm of bugs and he has a gun <laughs> but Rick is committed to his one character trait and we have to respect that
1: look he's just channeling you know the constant gender bending that is Indiana Jones into Lara, Cro- into Lara Croft into Rick O'Connell mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes we trio. have two guns I must shoot <laughs> yes
0: has gun will shoot uh Evie f- leans against the wall to escape the swarm of scarabs and falls through a secret door separating her from Jonathan and O'Connell uh, and in the secret chamber she finds Mr. Burns, the blinded American, uh, now even more blinded as the mummy has taken his eyes and tongue and she finds herself, face to face, with Imhotep, in at this point in a very decayed, juicy mummy form, but now with eyes. It's very creepy. He sees her and immediately is like, this is my long dead lover, clearly. Uh, so we know that the one woman in this movie is probably going to be relevant in that way to Imhotep. Uh, that's going to be her plot armor for this <laughs> this chase scene. Yeah. <sighs> Honestly, it could have been played off worse because she seems pretty aware of what's going on, unlike a lot of other times that this particular trope happens, so I kind of like how they exactly. handle it, even if it would have been nice if there was maybe another female character to balance out <laughs> how this was going.
1: True, true.
0: The Americans catch up with Rick and Jonathan, and the gang continues to flee from the scarabs until they run conveniently through the M.C. Escher print of conveniently attached uh, tomb tunnels to where Evie is, also face-to-face with Imhotep at this point. Uh, Imhotep does a mummy roar at him, and Rick takes the opportunity to growl back at him and shoot him. The stone's on Rick. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> Uh, But the gun doesn't do much other than stun him. Yeah, (laughs) just chef's kiss. Uh, And the chase is still on. The gang rounds the corner and the Magi stop them uh, and tell them that they, like, seriously fucked up and that everybody's got to, like, you got to go, like, now. Rick insists that he got the mummy and the Magi's like, dude, it's a living mummy. Clearly he is more fucked than your gun can handle. And
1: Rick, like, sticks to it. He's like, no, I totally got him. Hey, look, that was a 12 gauge shotgun to the chest that should kill someone. Mm Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know,
0: mummies play by different rules since they're technically already dead. Um, Back in the tomb, Benny is by the feet of Anubis, alone and scared when the mummy appears behind him. (laughs) Uh, And Benny then starts praying, and he prays by holding out a holy symbol from just about every single religion, calling all of them out. Uh, doing prayers in every single one none of them affecting the mummy at all until he uh, takes out a Star of David and starts speaking Hebrew which the mummy pauses for a moment and Imhotep is like oh the language of the slaves Um, and he offers Benny gold if he serves him and just sort of we realize that Benny has become uh, a second in command for the now revived Imhotep who is gunning for the sacred uh, jars Full of his, as uh-huh. we would call
1: mummified organs. C- conveniently, each one of the Americans has one canopic jar. Yes. To justify them all getting g- getting ganked. Yes, not
0: only were they, they cursed because they were the ones specifically who opened the container, but also they have to each take in a single jar because there were exactly as many Americans as there were jars. <laughs> Convenient.
1: Uh, yep. Be- and Benny, with, you know... He made genre savviness his only stat. Mm hmm. Again. It's like, fair play to him. Yeah. Fair, fair play. It gets him through almost the entire movie.
0: Almost the so, entire movie, but unfortunately, he didn't put any points into um, heroism, well, so he doesn't literally have enough plot else. armor <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to really make it through the entire
1: movie. Uh, Everyone
0: flees the temple as the mummy hand bursts Terminator style <laughs> through the sand. Also, uh,
1: uh, other question. <laughs> What happens if the, ma- if the Magi had just, you know, done the thing they said they were going to do and just killed everyone?
0: You know, we might then, not have to deal with the mummy. There's a lot of casualties of like civilian life in this movie that could have been spared if the Magi had just like committed to the bit that they were originally doing.
1: Also, I think literally all but one of the Magi will die at this scene. Uh, yeah, a
0: lot of them. Right. So I think they- most of them stay behind and they're like, we're gonna fight the mummy. 1v1 as a
1: group and they are never seen or heard from again
0: no only only like a handful of them show up and only one significantly so the gang goes to cairo storm clouds ominously gathering overhead where this is another this is one of those scenes that has just absolutely fantastic blocking and it tells so much about the story and the relationship between the characters because um, rick and evie are arguing rick is like we gotta go we gotta leave egypt shit is going down and evie's like no, we gotta stay, we caused a problem, we gotta go fix it. Uh, and as he is packing a trunk, she is unpacking it immediately after, and you can get the whole back and forth between them just from that physicality. It's
1: excellent. It's so good.
0: So, so fun. Rick is like, hey, I completed my contract for you. I'm I'm out of here. And he, like, storms out of the room. And
1: uh, then... uh, obligatory second act lovers' spat, but mm-hmm. just really well done. Really, really well done. Evie
0: takes the opportunity to pout a little bit. Uh, Rick goes to a bar where Winston, a very drunk Royal Air Force member, is drinking. And he also runs into Jonathan and the Americans. The Americans are like, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting the heck out of Dodge. Uh, you probably should too. Benny and Imhotep, meanwhile. Uh, Benny and Imhotep, Imhotep disguised in a very ornate mask, are talking, uh, to the man whose eyes they previously stole. Uh, and it seems like a very normal conversation until slowly Benny reveals that the man sitting across from this American is the mummy himself Uh, and Imhotep reveals his face before taking the rest of the man's organs I guess mummifying him this is his method of consuming the Americans It's it's a little
1: strange yep it's weird
0: yeah they never like directly show it it's always like in shadow or just off screen with sound effects and I kind of appreciate that because I don't think anything they could have done would have Stayed as spooky and unnerving as the off-screen murking that they do instead. Yep. Yep. Leave the l- the imagination is the most terrifying tool that the filmmaker oh, has. Also,
1: <laughs> just just also just on a practical level, way way easier to show a uh, a shadow rapidly desiccating. Yes. That is to try and do a person. Yes. At all persuasively. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it definitely, it holds up in the long term. It's, it's that practical versus CGI right. thing, I you mean, know?
1: Th- th- like, think about how badly, uh, like, Donovan in Indiana Jones' Last Crusade, mm. you know, when Donovan rapidly ages, that doesn't hold up very well anymore. No. It, it just looks kind of, just a little bit terrible. Mm-hmm. So, same, same concept, exactly the same concept, but really far more clever workarounds.
0: Yeah, it definitely, it's, it's a, a very well thought out uh, technique to use here. Again, the blocking and construction of this movie is just so solid that it heightens even the more ridiculous bits of it. Meanwhile, uh, everyone who's in the bar spits out their drinks all at once, realizing that they're drinking blood, another plague is upon them, and Rick is like, oh no, he's here. Rick then runs back to where Evie is reading, and he's like, we got it, we got problems, girl. And the fire begins to rain from the sky, so their problems are very, very imminent rick spots um benny imhotep roars a bunch and evie and rick run towards the roar which is very bold of them especially since rick previously was team get the heck out of dodge Uh, and they find a newly dead american mummy and uh imhotep mid regrowing more of himself as he consumes the americans he becomes more and more uh, uh appearance wise like his original body rick takes the opportunity to say that they are in serious trouble which Thank you, Rick. Uh, and shoots at the mummy, as it is what he is wont to do. It does absolutely nothing, hey, and the mummy throws it, Rick
1: into a wall. It, it did literally nothing the first time. We may as well try it again.
0: Uh-huh. Uh huh. The mummy is like tr- continuing to hit on Evie, but a cat, a cat on a piano, and I love this because the sound is simultaneously like the classic cat, like meow, and uh, a piano keys being hit scare the mummy away. Yep. It's it's God, so good.
1: It's such it's a good so color. It's so good. <laughs> such a fun it's sound. It's so so darn good.
0: So classic and you know it's an all white cat so they stand out against like the backgrounds of the scene which are all still pretty like bronzy mm-hmm. and tanny so it's it's just an excellent shot. And then we wipe cut to the next scene, which is, I think, a really good example of that editing I talked about at the top of the podcast that's sort of like retro in its style because you don't see a lot of those wipes nowadays unless they're very, very intentional. And even in the 90s, they were sort of going out of vogue. The most notable place they typically happen is like the Star Wars franchise. Um, But they look a little hokey, they look a little goofy, and they sort of date whatever they're in because they've got this sort of like gauze effect to them. And so using them very intentionally here, I think helps create that idea of us watching like a retro monster flick uh it's it's supposed to seem a little dated it's supposed to seem a little goofy it helps sell the tone of the movie through the editing and i as an editor myself that is a chef's kiss i love to see it it's, i love to see an effective use of a way it's so good <laughs> yeah
1: right and, and it's so good on so many ways right because i mean it's a trope of the adventure of you know lucasfilm adventure movies in mm-hmm. star wars and indiana jones but also, right, this is, in name and nothing else, a remake of a classic 1930s monster movie. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen that, that version of The Mummy in years, but I seem to remember, because it's the 1930s, there were wipes in that movie.
0: Yes. The, as soon as they realized, hey, we could use wipes in this, there was a period of filmmaking where wipes were very popular. And if you're trying to call back to that intentionally a really effective way to use it nowadays it's, or it's in great. say 1999 the gang rushes to the museum of antiquities where they meet up with Ardith, one of the surviving magi from before uh and the curator who explains that he's uh in on it with the magi as part of like a secret society protecting the tomb rick takes the opportunity to ask why the mummy doesn't like cats apparently it's explained they are the
1: guardians of the underworld which not not right, but not wrong either. Uh, I'm presuming this is a reference to the goddess Bastet, who is the guardian of Ra as he travels through the underworld every night. So, you know, uh, typically the lands of the dead themselves are Anubis, uh, Mm -hmm. but cats are extremely relevant to Egyptian religious practices, and so, you know, framing it that way actually works. But I gotta, I gotta say, their pet budget must have been way too thin, because at this point I would have gone- Say, okay, first things first, we're going and we're going to find some stray cats and we're going- yeah. Everyone gets a cat.
0: Everyone get a cat. As many as you possible. Everyone gets a cat. Hold it with you at all times. I don't care if it tries to escape. That thing is the most valuable weapon we have. Th-
1: these- These people that we cannot let die, lest the cats become ineffective, you are priority targets for cats. Yes. <laughs> you get a
0: cat and you get a cat you American you get a cat uh, but they also take the opportunity and It would, <laughs> would have been very cute It would have been very cute the thing as I've worked with um, animals on set before and there's sort of like this understanding in the industry of like there are two things that are terrible to work with on set either for regulation reasons or because you just can't act with them kids can be rough because there's very important that these exist there are very strict laws uh, and labor laws regarding when mm-hmm. and what hours an underage actor can work and everything and that's that's very important. If those weren't there, that would be exploitation. It's That's very key. But the second thing is more of just, like, an annoyance issue. Animals are so hard to use in films. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because they have to be they have to be very carefully trained, and even then, the luck of the draw on whether they're going to be any good or not, it's a it's a nightmare. So anytime you see a movie that has a lot of an animal in it, or, on the flip side, has very little of an animal in it, it's usually for that reason. <laughs>
1: that, that, that's that. I mean, what are you going to do? Tell the cat they catwalk across that?
0: <laughs> exactly i'm trying to i'm pulling a blank right now but there's a, an actor who famously like hated the animal that they were working with for a really long time but uh I, i'm blanking on who it was so i'll move on for now maybe it'll come to me as we continue to talk about the plot of the mummy we're about halfway Ooh. through <laughs> the rest goes by pretty quickly oh, like many movies on movie stores yeah, The trip. first 30 right. minutes takes an hour to get through and then it's just all mummy fights from here right <laughs> i mean
1: at this point we have we have action set piece action set piece action set mm-hmm. piece action set piece, and then we're done
0: yeah, so the- their last bit of exposition is they explain that the reason the mummy keeps going after Evie is because he wants to sacrifice her to revive his old girlfriend and that they may be able to use her to stall for time so that they can then kill the creature and they'll need time because now an eclipse is happening, which is never a good sign. The gang Whoa. is like, okay, here's the plan we're gonna go find the Egyptologist so that we can protect all the Americans and keep him from fully. Because if if the mummy gets all the Americans, he'll fully revive and it will be pretty much impossible to kill. Rick and I wrote Rick and Okada, but that's incorrect. Uh, it's Rick and Jonathan. <laughs> set out after they after Rick <laughs> takes the opportunity to lock Evie in her room again, um, very against her will. He just like throws her over his shoulder. He's like, "No, you you're in danger. Stay here." Uh, and Jonathan the whole time is like, "Oh, sorry, I'd I'd stop him, but he's very tall, which." The dialogue in this movie just stunning. Um,
1: <laughs> That's
0: so, so, <laughs> so good. Uh, the Egyptologist, meanwhile, is walking alone in the dark as the mummy gives chase. Uh, this guy not long for this world. Benny is uh, found by Jonathan and Rick ransacking a desk of drawers, and Rick takes the opportunity to throw a full on grab a chair by the leg and hawk it across the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before interrogating him, Benny's like, I'm looking for the black book to bring his dead girlfriend back, also he needs Evie, and Benny then takes the opportunity to punch Rick, who gets distracted by a scream, and make his escape. Uh, the mummy now not only has the book, because he just murked the ejectologist, but has gotten another organ jar, so he is one, Amer- one more American down, two to go. Yep. Spotting our boys Rick and Jonathan, the mummy sends some of his trademark bugs after them before walking through the market. Uh, meanwhile, back at the, the hideout, the Americans are getting restless and they do what no genre savvy horror movie member would ever do and split up and look for clues. One going down to find some booze while the guy who looks an awful lot like Owen Wilson stays alone outside of Evie's room with his <laughs> plot-relevant jar sitting <laughs> on a nearby table.
1: Uh-huh. Also, with the windows wide open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which that is... Is like not, not that... Not that closing the windows would have done anything nope, but it's the thought it's right the, I, I you know least... your life is
0: in danger at least do put close the damn windows dude
1: and actually their, their whole their whole plan seems to be uh get everyone in the same place and being inside this fort will totally help against this definitely follows the laws of physics threat oh
0: yeah it's not like he'll turn into a giant mass of evil sand to enter the room and kill the american because that's um unfortunately exact for the american exactly what (laughs) happens (laughs) imhotep who then takes the opportunity to eat a bug that came from his mouth enters evie's room by using the power of a lot of sand to pick the lock again anytime that imhotep encounters a problem he's going to sand ex machina it it's it pretty much always works
1: (laughs) Hey, uh, he has a brat. He has,
0: he's got, he's got a rat. He's got uh, some bugs and he's got sand, and those are his, those are his mummy pa- mummy powers. Uh, it seems. <laughs> Imhotep is mid uh, making out with Evie when Rick and Jonathan bust in. Rick uh, then uses the cat for its only other appearance in the movie, where he's like, oh, look what I've got!" holds it up. It does a cat, meow. Meow, and it spooks Imhotep away again. Uh, love that for Rick and the cat. <laughs> well,
1: by the, way, the fact that there is—they don't just have him scream, but they do. They put all the effort into the mouth-distending horror, horror movie yes. scream. Yes,
0: yes. He's not fully so reincorporated such yet. A,
1: such a strong commitment to the bit of 1999 CGI <laughs> to have him be terrified of the cat going meow.
0: It's so good. Rick asks Evie if she's alright, and Jonathan from the back end replies that he's not sure. It's great comedic timing. Again, Jonathan, excellent comedic timing on his <laughs> line delivery. Evie, Rick, and the gang walk and talk. Think through the rest of their plan for the movie. They're like, okay, the black book brings people to life. Maybe the gold one can kill him. You know, the one I was originally looking for in the beginning of the movie. We're, uh-huh. we're, we're tying it back to that. Remember that book I was looking for? It's not uh-huh. the black book. It's a different, different book. The gold book. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um meanwhile outside an army of boil and sore covered slaves of Imhotep march on whatever building it is that is they're holed up in and such marks the we beginning We have now of gone through
1: <laughs> Uh-huh. We have gone through the first half and the only half of the 10 plagues of Egypt that will be explored in this movie.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh e. explains that the old scholars must have mixed up the location of the books when while reading a tablet inside. I think they're still in the Museum of Antiquities. Yeah. She's like, the gold book is actually underneath the statue of Horus, not Anubis. Aye, ay. Now,
1: this, <laughs> this, should, this should be obvious, right? The god that is universally depicted with a black jackal's head mm-hmm. has the gold book underneath it. While the sun god, who's literally eye, one of his eyes is the sun, <laughs> has the black book under it.
0: Those, those funky historians mixing up their sources. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that's the this only is an egregious line of
1: translation error.
0: <laughs> it's an egregious translation error, but it's also a hilarious choice in behalf of those who built the tomb and punished Imhotep because they were like, "We're not going to separate the books to different locations from, and we're not going to separate them from the mummy, but no. we will switch the logic of which statue they're under to throw people off in the future, so that they might accidentally, I don't know, read from the Book of the Dead instead." Instead of the book they were trying yeah, to find, yeah, reviving I'm, the mummy and thus creating I'm, the problem.
1: I'm hoping that's not it, because that is that is some five dimensional chess <laughs> on the part of the magi.
0: The magi are playing a so different ho- game ho- entirely. I'm hoping
1: it's just, I'm hoping it's just definitely not Oxford scholars being bad at translation.
0: Mm, maybe a little column A, a little column B, <laughs> <laughs> while uh, Rick and. Uh, Evie work on translating the location of the book Jonathan runs outside and tries to get to his car and he ends up sort of imitating the shuffling they're not zombies but they basically are classic Classic. he's like oh hell emotep shambling and then eventually runs to get to his car it works great because Jonathan is an incredible actor Uh, and he's like alright getting it started because we're going back to the city of the dead baby
1: I I love that that is a trope in comedy horror films yes and I love that it works every single time. Every
0: single time. it always It's always successful the first time, and then every once in a while it won't work the second. But they don't do it a second time here, so it just works. Rick and co. jump in the car, and Rick takes the opportunity to curse Benny as they are driving away, bad guys in pursuit. But they are cut off by a wall of Vic villagers before Rick is like, ah, fuck it, and floors the car, driving them through a sea of extras. <laughs> <laughs> uh unfortunately (laughs) that it
1: doesn't have been really unpleasant or very fun to film
0: if they were doing wire work it's got to be a great time or it's just a lot of stunt a lot of stunt people were like yeah i'll come on set for a day you want we're doing a we're doing a sea of car extras great unfortunately for the one american who's left he gets wrestled out of the car by the sea of extras as they surround him and imhotep approaches ready to fulfill uh his curse on the last american and to fully reanimate himself The American tries to offer him the jar, but it's not enough, and he, of course, gets murked. Our heroes, meanwhile, are surrounded by Imhotep fans as Imhotep, now fully regenerated, approaches them. Uh, Benny, translating as Imhotep in Egyptian, tells them, Evie, that if she goes with him, he'll spare her friends. Uh, And Evie and Rick sort of argue about it before Evie's
1: like, it's the only way. By the way, super good joke. When Benny translates it as forever, and Evie corrects him. (laughs) Because it should be for all eternity. Mm -hmm. Just magnificent, even in crisis, you just you can't help it. Even in crisis, academics gotta academic.
0: (laughs) Evie's like an academic know-it-all. It's such a great character moment. It's also very funny. It just the writing in this movie is so sharp, uh, and the delivery just sells it so well. Uh, Evie's like, "I'm going with him." They he still has to go to Hamanatra to perform the ritual. We've got you've got time to save me. Uh, But as she walks away with him, Imhotep says to his goons to kill them all. But don't worry, Rick and co. will escape into the sewers, uh, but not before the curator decides to stay above ground to hold the crowd back, meeting his fate in the swarm of people somewhat unnecessarily.
1: Literally no reason, there was plenty of time. (laughs) Right, it's not like he holds them off for any length of time. It's about two and a half seconds.
0: It's, uh, I'm like, if you just jumped down, you guys all could have made it. But it's important that the non-central yep. character quad uh, doesn't survive this portion uh, of the literally, movie. Literally,
1: <laughs> literally all die. Yeah. Literally every inter- named non-plot critical character will in fact get marked in this movie.
0: It's just, it's just a fact of life. Uh, the remaining boys ride their car to an airfield. It's off to get the old drunk Winston to get them a ride. Uh, they sort of bring him up to speed. Rick is like, it's dangerous. You could die. You'd save the world. Save the damsel. And Winston is immediately on board. He's a, He's a, got a very limited screen time, but we understand everything about Winston's character immediately.
1: Yeah, he, he survived World War One. He feels bad about it. He's trying to go out there the blaze of glory. Let's do it. Mm-hmm.
0: They take flight. Rick somehow still managing to have a gun in hand. Jonathan... Uh, <laughs> Jonathan and Ardith tied to each wing, Jonathan having a much worse time than Ardith is with it. As they fly, uh, they see a giant sand swell picking up. It's Imhotep traveling via magic sand, Benny and Evie in tow as they are on the route to Hamanatra, which, again, the distance it takes you to get to this lost city seems perpetually getting shorter throughout the course of the movie. (laughs)
1: Literally. Even, even accounting for the fact that their mode of transport keeps becoming faster Mm -hmm. and like we're just gonna go bam we're there
0: it can't have been more than a day it hasn't even been a day since they left it just yeah cycling through yeah it's like It's crazy. The calendar of this movie is so uh, short for being such a dramatic event in all of their lives. As Mm -hmm. uh, Evie spots the plane and her boys flying overhead, Imhotep is like, oh, none of that now. And he roars and summons a giant sandstorm to try and dissuade them slash murder them with sand, as he is wont to do. Uh, But Winston's like, hang on, boys, and does some very fancy flying to try and escape. Uh, As the face of Imhotep appears in the sand, giving chase, Rick shoots at it, as he is wont to do. (laughs) And then he's like, this isn't working, and puts on his goggles before the sand swallows him. (laughs) Eye protection. It's very important.
1: And then everyone continues to scream with their mouths wide open. Yep. (laughs) Winston notably
0: screaming (laughs) out of fun and enjoyment, as he is apparently having a great time uh evie's like oh no i gotta do something so she kisses imhotep to break his concentration and it gives the gang an opportunity to escape but their plane crashes just over the dune out of sight luckily they're all okay well except for winston but he uh he was never gonna make it that far and chillingly his mouth is like sealed shut i
1: don't know how i I I didn't see that it looked like it looked to me like it was just he died nobly with his mouth closed.
0: I don't know. It looked like it had like a like a, a plaster huh. over it or something almost, but maybe that was just the way I was looking at it Funky. on screen. Sand. Sand.
1: Just. Sm- but then why into was the everyone sand? else's
0: mouth is fine? It's a logic. Logic point. <laughs> Ripped to a short king as Winston and his plane begin to sink into the sand, uh, notably quicksand. It's its only appearance in this movie, but I'm sure glad it's there. Uh, and now our our gang, our. our our, our trio of lads are mere footsteps away from the ruins where Imhotep is preparing
1: for the ritual to bring his dead girlfriend back to life. Yep. By the way, they'll be clearing sand out of their clothes for about the next year. Oh, yeah. They're never going to be And I am be speaking be from experience there. <laughs> that, that sand is incredibly, I mean, it's actually really great because it's super <laughs> fine-grained sand. Ooh. Like the powder. Like, fresh fresh powder for boarding on, but sand. you will They'll literally never get it out of those tall boots that Rick wears throughout the movie. <laughs> literally know. never gonna get them out.
0: Rick commits to the aesthetic, and I have to respect that, even if it means it's gonna be uncomfortable forever. Evie takes the moment as she's uh, about to be ritualed to sass Benny, who seems genuinely concerned for what his comeuppance might be later on. Meanwhile, uh, the boys begin excavating where the golden book is, with a little help, with little help from Jonathan, who takes a bug out of the wall, which we all know is not something that I would do if I were you. Uh, inevitably, the bug sheds its rock skin and tries to burrow into Jonathan, although this time Rick manages to stab it and then solve it as he solves all his problems by shooting it.
1: God. <laughs> just, just once just once there were other options that would have worked Yep.
0: you know I, I respect that Rick is like I do one thing really well I don't carry around these two pistols for no reason it's because I know how to use them uh, but his, his shot also alerts Imhotep that the boys are back and he does some funky Egyptian cursing and summons a couple of his old mummies Uh, his old priests, now mummies, to do his dark bidding. Rick, the boys and Rick's trusty bag of weapons, enter a chamber full of uh, the mirrors, like Evie used earlier in the movie to illuminate the temple, Uh, and Rick, of course, shoots one of the mirrors, which perfectly turns it to illuminate a treasure
1: room. (laughs) He truly is the embodiment of stealth is optional for this mission.
0: Yes, (laughs) he did not take any points in (laughs) stealth. Um, he's like, I'm gonna multiclass into Gunslinger, and I'm gonna make that my only personality trait. <laughs> and it works for him. Uh, but they've, they've illuminated the treasure of this lost city, a, a room full of gold and riches, and as they admire it, mummies begin to burst from the floor, which, um, Ardith helpfully informs us, are Imhotep's priests, and the lads get to doing what they do, which is, of course, firing on the mummies. Benny, who is also there for some reason, admires the treasure room. <laughs>
1: They appear to be exactly one room over from where the warden died, (laughs) and so not a single person thought to, you know, we see this big place in the initial excavation, Mm -hmm. and there's one statue, but we're not going to explore the rest of the easily accessible areas first?
0: Nope. Nope. They've committed to just uh, staying in their one hallway until they've decided that they're done with that hallway, and unfortunately for them, that didn't pan out. Again, the, the yeah. layout of this temple yeah. is somehow super-condensed and massive all at once.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. They do such a great job on the sense of scale, uh-huh. but also everyone gets exactly where they need to in like three steps.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, they're wasting no time with shots of people running through tunnels. They're like, no, no, you're
1: already in the room you need
0: to be in. We're not going to dawdle on this.
1: Uh-huh. We need a long spooky hallway. That implies that there are other long spooky hallways. Boom. Yeah. Does this connect to any other, any other rooms? Uh. It
0: connects to a secret door, but that's that. good luck figuring out where that connects to. Exactly. Uh, we cut to Evie, who is tied up in a scandalous outfit to a table. Uh, a rat spooks her, and she turns to see a mummy of uh, the Imhotep's dead girlfriend, which then spooks her again. Uh, meanwhile, the boys find the statue of Horace. Uh, Rick blows up some mummies. The usual's going on. Benny has exactly. uh, got his bag of gold, and he's trying to make his escape with a camel who is just absolutely not having it. So, Benny is not able to run as he hopes to.
1: Wait a minute. I just realized he got out of the temple with the gold mm-hmm. to the camels. Mm-hmm. Turns around and goes back into the temple.
0: Yes, he can't get the one singular camel, and as we'll see the later, one. there are like uh-huh. 50 camels. He can't get one camel to move, uh, and as a result, decides to re enter the temple rather than wait outside. Benny doesn't make good choices in the sense scene, but to be fair, Benny doesn't make good choices most of the time. <laughs> It's,
1: it's like his genre savviness completely wore off right at the end. Nope. The, the boys get the book,
0: uh, but they need the key to open it, which is unfortunately stored in Imhotep's robes. Ardith, out of bullets, is like, I'm gonna go 1v1 some mummies, uh, and he's like, save the girl, kill the creature, before running off into the hallway to, like, I punch them, I guess. It's... go Ardith. He, he's, uh, <laughs>
1: very, he's very good at punching, though.
0: <laughs> yes, surely this is his tragic demise. Uh, but he, any he, again, if, it
1: has been for every every other character. Every other
0: character, but Van Helsing rules. If they die off screen, they're not really dead. Um, meanwhile, spooky CGI smoke from the beginning of the movie is back, baby, and this time it's trying to murk Evie. Um, the lady mummy starts screaming. Evie starts screaming, and just before Imhotep can stab her and complete the resurrection, Jonathan bursts in and distracts him with his book and his Britishness. He's like, "I need the key!" He yells directly at Evie. Which she informs him is in Imhotep's robes. Rick, meanwhile, Imhotep is like is
1: <laughs> extremely ADHD for this entire sequence. <laughs> yeah,
0: very easily distracted, just not good at focusing just on the task him, at hand.
1: You know, there's like four. There's like four times where the solution is really just finish the thing you were doing and mm-hmm. then you win.
0: Yeah, it's a big ADHD mood coming from Imhotep. <laughs> <laughs> Rick takes the opportunity to arm himself, this time with a sword, and he tries to free Evie, stabbing some mummy goons, before saying, ha, mummies, and getting tripped. Uh, It looks like he's about to be crushed by Big Rock, but he's able to escape because it's O'Connell. Of course he does. Um, Meanwhile, Jonathan is reading random words from the (laughs) the top of the book and somehow manages to summon more mummies, but this time I think it's supposed to be like the Sparrow's Guards. Yeah. Because they've got shields and spears. (laughs)
1: Which... It's like, it's like his one moment of being almost kind of competent, mm-hmm. and also reflects my experience translating things so much better. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, I've got like 75% of this, mm-hmm. and I have no idea what this word is.
0: Yeah, that tracks.
1: That tracks, for sure. <laughs> exactly enough knowledge to get into trouble, and not nearly enough to get out of it. So, a, a solid Dead Languages mood coming out of Jonathan.
0: Oh, Yeah. Uh, and Evie's like, dude, you got to read all of it to control the mummies as Jonathan like takes his time reading the top because right now the guard mummies are not on their side. They're still working for Imhotep. Evie's off the table, but the girlfriend mummy who is slightly reanimated begins attacking her trying to finish the ritual and Rick once again tries yelling as a strategy, uh, screaming at the mummy, but it doesn't do anything this time and the guard mummies are in pursuit. Jonathan does a lot of leaping and running, a little no, sword fighting.
1: I, I, I do appreciate, I do appreciate that moment. That, you know, if it's just Imhotep screaming, he feels totally fine screaming back. Mm -hmm. But if it's a 3v1?
0: Nah. Nah. Rick O'Connell knows odds. That man is a man of percentages. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Evie and Jonathan are yelling back and forth as they try to dodge their respective mummies and translate the cover of the book. And it looks like Rick is about to be cornered and finished off, but Jonathan, at the last second, with the help of Evie, is able to finish reading the inscription, and the mummies begin to listen to Jonathan's commands now as the guards go after the mummy girlfriend who gets murdered by them, just as she did thousands of years ago. And what is framed as the same shot, uh, because when she was murdered before, it was behind a curtain and silhouette, and this time it's not behind a curtain, but it is still in silhouette. So um, that's continuity, folks.
1: And, you know, Imhotep looks genuinely really sad, which yeah, the, just a choice I appreciate on this is that Im- Imhotep takes everything about this movie incredibly seriously Mm -hmm.
0: yeah his and his motivations are very understandable even if he is a you know crazy monster uh mummy that can bring the 10 plagues down in egypt like the idea of someone wanting to avenge their dead lover or to bring their dead lover back is i think something that most people are able to comprehend and understand like the emotions behind it which makes for Mm -hmm. a more um, interesting, if not sympathetic villain, and and one whose motivations are clear throughout the movie. It's not like nebulous destroy yep. whoever opens the tomb. It's like, no, I have a very clear goal. It's understandable why I'm taking the steps I am. Even if like you're not sympathizing with the mummy, you understand the plan.
1: But in a, in a movie where everyone else is also uh, not taking themselves seriously, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Imhotep taking himself way too seriously, just really does sell the villain-ness. Yes. And what is otherwise, honestly, right? None percent of <laughs> Imhotep's whole thing is really his fault, per se, right? Mm-hmm. He, he is the villain by virtue of the Magi making a horrible decision. And admittedly, you know, he did he did try and break the rules and he did get cursed. He does get punished in a very religiously significant way for it. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, right, he did ask to be turned into a pretty much all-powerful world-destroying mummy.
0: Yeah, his goal was never to obtain this great power, it was to hang out with his girlfriend. and The way that that was possible just over time became by reviving his dead girlfriend, which was just sort of doubling down on the crime at that point. Imhotep, speaking of doubling down on crime, goes to kill Jonathan, kind of like holding him against the wall, but Rick cuts his arm off, and although he grows it back, Jonathan's like, hey, remember how I have very sticky fingers and I'm a good thief? Well, I stole the key, baby. Rick then goes about keeping Imhotep busy as Evie and Jonathan work on the translation inside the book. As Evie starts reading...
1: Keeping him busy feels generous. (laughs)
0: Keeping him busy, uh, getting beat up by Imhotep, however you want to say it. (laughs) There we go. Uh, Evie starts to read the inscription inside the book, and Imhotep, who looks very concerned, uh, is then run over by a ghost chariot, and I assume his, like, immortal soul is covered off to the underworld. His his body remains, but he's now mortal, so when Rick stabs him, he falls into a nebulous pool of some sort of dark liquid. Uh, It's where the CGI smoke was coming from. And he turns back into a mummy and dies, like, in ghost tar or whatever. And as Evie translates the last words, death is only the beginning.
1: Hashtag sequel bait. Hashtag sequel bait. (laughs) Uh,
0: We see the end of our mummy. Um, But remember Benny? He's still here. And he hangs his bag of treasure on a secret lever and now the whole tomb is sinking into the sands. I have a lot of questions about this, but most importantly, if you had a lever that sank the whole tomb into the sands, why did none of the magi just hit that in the first place to make it impossible for anyone to enter the tomb?
1: Correct. But we, we need a dramatic escape sequence. It definitely can't just be <laughs> walk out.
0: No, God forbid. Uh, Jonathan drops the book, and Evie's like, almost stops forever, but the bold man- boys manage to pull her out as everyone is fleeing the sinking ruins. Sand begins to fill the halls, and the gang runs through treasure after treasure. Jonathan again tries to stop, but they drag him. Benny not too far behind. Benny's like, wait for me. But inevitably, he gets trapped, uh, as Rick manages to say, goodbye, Benny. Yep. <laughs> who gets his come up so.
1: <laughs> yeah. He he tries for a whole fifteen seconds to save Benny, fails, shrugs and moves on. <laughs> yep. Yep.
0: I mean Benny has done nothing to endear himself to our cohorts at this point. Oh and god no. We know oh, no. he had t- to get t- his totally Oh
1: yeah. It but was it was time. shoutouts shout outs to Rick for being willing to try anyway. Yeah, he's and you know, then having exactly no sadness about failing.
0: Yep, he was trying to be the bigger man, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. Uh, And Benny gets sealed into the treasure room. At first I was like, oh, is he doomed to be buried alive? But then a skittering of scarabs come to get him first, so I guess at least he won't be
1: trapped for long. One more way too good sound design. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Our heroes now outside dodge crumbling rubble as the camels who are also still there begin to flee with them and the city of dead sinks into the sands as our surviving gang watches. And hey, Ardith made it out somehow too! You remember how he went off-screen to 1v1 some mummies? Well, they didn't get him for good, so he's fine.
1: Look, he's had had a lot of experience, Mm -hmm. presumably, as the leader of the Magi. Yes. Punching mummies in the face. So why not? Yeah,
0: you know if anyone's gonna
1: survive punching some mummies, it's him. He, Look, so, someone that hot cannot possibly be taken out by a couple. Of, like that that is some protagonist level hotness mummies.
0: right there. <laughs> That's plot armor, baby. <laughs> uh, he's like, you've earned the gratitude of the magi, and then rides off into the desert to go do magi things, I suppose. Uh, and Jonathan's like, oh, we get to go home empty-handed, but Rick and Evie are like. We're not empty-handed and kiss. And Jonathan's like, oh, yes, make out some more. Again, proving that he is an excellent audience surrogate character to cut back to. (laughs) O'Connell, Evie, and Jonathan ride off into the sunset on a bunch of camels with uh, somehow also a bunch of treasure. I think that that camel actually, this might be tying it back, it doesn't explain why Benny went back in, but that camel does have treasure in its treasure, like, packs on it, so maybe Benny packed that one camel.
1: True. It also has the sword that Rick was using. Yes. So... uh... Right, either way, either way you slice it, right? It could be the one that Benny loaded up. Mm-hmm. It could also be that Rick was swiping stuff while he was running. Yes,
0: all possible. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, third wheeling close behind, the gang rides off into the sun of the desert, and so ends the Mummy. God, this movie is good. <laughs>
1: this movie is shockingly good.
0: It's. It's so fun to watch, and it holds up so well. Um, And, you know, we're we're kind of running up on time here, so I want to ask some of your closing thoughts about the movie. You know, I like to ask guests, like, maybe what situation would you recommend people watch this movie in? Would you recommend it at all? I think I know the answer on this one, but what are some of your closing thoughts here?
1: My closing thought is, if you watch this when you were younger, whatever your thoughts on it, good, bad, or indifferent, will probably still be true today. Because right, we both obviously love this mm-hmm. movie. There's a lot of reasons to also not like this movie. Well, because the the movie, right? If you want a relatively self serious adventure, this mm-hmm. ain't it. Yeah, not e- not even slightly. Uh, if you want a movie that actually you know does something to shake all the problematic things of say Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. This ain't it. It's better. (laughs) Yes. It's, like, way less problematic on every count than Indiana Jones. (laughs) But it still fixes none of the problems. If you don't like, you know, turning the camp dial up to 11, uh, if you don't, don't mind, or if you don't want occasionally really hokey acting, this ain't it. So there are totally legitimate reasons to not love this movie. But as I said, as i said throughout, like it is the weirdly high-effort ship host of vaguely historical action movies, <laughs> and I freaking love it.
0: It's just such a fun eleven movie. out of ten. <laughs> it's just like I, I kind my my personal guide for whether or not a movie is good is how much they commit to their concept, and I think what I really appreciate about this movie more than it just having a, a great yep. cast, uh, great writing, great cinematography is that it really commits to its its core concept of kind of goofy, kind of campy action monster movie. Like, that's a lot of words all at once, but at the end of the day that's a very different genre than just like pure horror, it's a very different genre than just like pure adventure. They, they understood what they were doing, they understood the assignment, and they fully committed to it. And there's nothing that feels like it's lacking in exactly. this movie. Uh, if, so if you go into it for a fun, kind of campy action adventure, with maybe some horror elements you're going to get exactly what you want and you're going to have a great time with it it's a great group watch it's because it doesn't require too close attention oh, to understand what's going on so if you've got a gang of friends and you need a movie for movie night
1: highly recommend this I- incredible group watch mm-hmm. also incredible drinking game movie <laughs> yes there are some movies that are just built for the movie titan drinking game and this is one of those mm-hmm.
0: oh yeah uh, if you, you know, it's recently by visibility day, get all your buys together, hang out, play a drinking game, watch a exactly. movie. <laughs> that's, that's the recommendation of activities coming from us this week. <laughs> um, but Adam, thank you so much for joining me. This was such a fun episode. I love talking about the mummy. Oh, it was so much fun. Uh, thank if, you so much for having me on. Yeah. If our listeners wanted to find more from you, where, where can they, where can they check you out?
1: So primarily on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash History. Uh, I do historical games, uh, might eventually branch out into, like, historical TV movies, uh, etc. But stream multiple times a week over there. So if you've enjoyed this kind of content, the slightly analytical, slightly goofing off, uh, vibe, then highly recommend that. Uh, otherwise, uh, I sometimes appear on overly sarcastic productions, live streams, and video content every once in a blue moon. So... Uh, you may hear my voice over around it in some of those
0: awesome well thank you again so much for guesting go check out adam go check out those streams for some excellent historical content and we will catch you on the next episode um i gotta go read out of a book to reseal a mummy i may have accidentally opened its curse but we'll hopefully by oh, next episode we'll yep. have that figured out if you hear of anything crazy happening in egypt just <sighs> like don't at me okay we
1: just watched a movie saying don't do that <laughs> and what do you do
0: thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of movie struck we'll be back on october 11th to talk about twilight new moon but if you miss us before then or if you have any questions comments or concerns feel free to reach out to movie struck pod at gmail.com Want more from Adam, our lovely guest today? Be sure to check out the links in the show notes below to all of his streams and additional content. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review or rate us on your preferred podcast platform, and we'll catch you in the next episode.